to me if you can. Just mumble, that's fine. And uh, it's great that we can share here in the building and also online. Again, we welcome everybody online who's joining us from wherever you are. You are, uh, we're glad that you're here. And um, Neil kind of, uh, kind of gave us the preparation last week in uh, saying that we are looking at foundations and we are going to be journeying through this next season looking at some um, topical issues. We're going to be looking at doctrine. We're going to be looking at some foundational things within the scriptures. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's going to be a really important journey. As we, as we go forward. And uh, today, in a moment, I'm going to be looking at uh, the Bible uh, and, uh, you know, something that we have no doubt in front of us. If you've got one in your hand, if you've got one in your hand, you can, could you hold it up? If you've got a device, it doesn't matter. You know, there you go. We've all got the Bible uh, in our hand. If you haven't got one, then don't, don't worry about that. And, uh, but it's great that we have the Bible. But what is, what is the Bible? Uh, why do we have the Bible? What does it mean? Uh, and uh, we're going to be looking at a few of those things this morning. But before we go any further, I want to give a little bit of a, a, of a book recommendation uh, to you. Uh, something that I found really helpful, a book by uh, Timothy Keller. Uh, and it's called The Reason for God. And it's, a, it's, it's like an apologetic. It's a defense of the Christian faith. And in there, there's a great section uh, on the Bible. Uh, and and uh, it's not all-encompassing, but it is, it is a help. And I find that book uh, uh, really quite helpful. It's uh, written for those who are maybe skeptical of the Christian faith, and there are many who are skeptical. So what is our understanding of the Bible, and why do we trust the Bible? Why do we believe the Bible? I think it's really important, not just for today, but you know, we're going to be basing everything from this moment on in our series on this book. So we need to be able to establish why we understand it as the Word of God, and why we put um, you know, great importance and emphasis on the Word of God, the Word of life. Uh, and, and so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. And I hope you'll be able to uh, engage uh, and uh, be uh, inspired by some of the things that you hear because this is a book of inspiration. Uh, and uh, we're going to be looking at it in a bit more detail as we, as we journey forward. So, the Bible, the foundation, the foundation for all that we believe, the foundation for any Bible-believing church, any Christian church, and also for our own uh, church. We are part, Holy Trinity, of the uh, denomination of uh, the Elim Pentecostal Church, uh, and uh, we are part of uh, a family of churches all around the United Kingdom, maybe five, 600 churches, uh, and around the world we're in 60, 70 different nations. Uh, and, and part of the foundational truths, we have some foundational truths and we're going to be journeying through a number of these over this coming season. Uh, we, we start those foundational truths by saying something about the Bible. And this is what uh, we believe as, uh, as a network, as a church, uh, and as a denomination. This is what we believe about the Bible. We believe the Bible as originally given, to be without error. The fully inspired and infallible Word of God and the supreme and final authority in all matters of faith and conduct. There's some fairly big statements in, in, that, uh, in that kind of foundational truth that's set down by Elim. Uh, and it's a great statement. And, in it, and, and, and this morning, I want to be able to address some of those things. But obviously, I'm not going to be able to go into too much detail uh, concerning all of the uh, elements that are contained within that foundational statement. Because 
all down through the centuries, we've been talking about what is the Bible, what does it mean, how is it interpreted, how can we depend upon it, how do we know it's the truth, many things like that, and, and it continues to be debated by many. Uh, and, and so therefore, I'm not seeking to encapsulate in 20 minutes the entirety of all of those arguments. But I do want to say from the outset that what we believe about the Bible is crucial. It's absolutely crucial. And we have the foundational kind of uh, truth that we have as a church because we're saying this is where we stand. This is what we believe. This is something that we will not move to the left or the right on. This is something that we understand as very prominent within uh, the, the faith that we hold to because everything else that we believe is formed and fashioned and built upon the truth of the Bible. And if the Bible is not what it says, uh, then in many ways we all, we're in the same position as Paul when he was writing to uh, the, the Corinthians and uh, he wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He's talking about the resurrection. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And he goes on to say, and we of all people are to be most pitied. In other words, if we believe something that's not true, what's the point? And so in that sense, this is why what we believe about the Bible is absolutely critical. And my task this morning is to show in a small part, in a small way, why the Bible is the unique Word of God and that it can be trusted. And I want to focus on this morning the inspiration of the Bible and its uniqueness. There are many times that many people have said to me, and rightfully so, uh, you know, because the, you know, uh, in a world of all kinds of beliefs and thought processes, people will always ask questions. You know, many of folk have said to me, how do you know that the Bible is the Word of God? What do you mean by that it's inspired? What makes it different from any other religious book or any other philosophical book that we may engage with? What's so important? It's a fair question, isn't it? You can say, yes, Steve. Thank you. So what do we mean when we say that the Bible is the inspired Word of God? Well, really, the concept for me of inspiration comes from a particular verse. It's not just one verse. There are many, but I'm just going to use this verse as the foundational kind of verse that I want to build my short talk on this morning. And it's from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and will be, I'm sure, familiar to many of you. But this is what it says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's a great statement that we believe that the Bible is inspired, but what makes it inspired? Why do we believe that? Well, the Greek word for inspired is theo. Newtos, Theonutos. And when you translate that word, it actually means God breathed. So when we, when we use the word inspired and when it's utilized there by Paul, what he's saying is it's God breathed. I mean, what does that mean? It's like, well, what on earth does that mean that it's God 
breathe. But we, we're, saying, we're seeing from the outset that, you know, we're saying that it's nuanced, that it's, its beginning is in the heart and in the mind of God. It's breathed out by God. And so this is where we see that first kind of understanding of uh, inspiration. In Latin, this was then translated into the word inspirata. I like that. Inspirata, where we get the word inspiration from. So inspiration then is understood to mean that the Bible is not just an ordinary collection of books. It's not just an ordinary uh, you know, uh, uh, piece of literature that has come to us. Rather, that the biblical authors were prompted to write as they did because they were prompted, led, inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God Himself to write what they wrote. So all of this that we have before us, if you have a Bible in your hand, is absolutely 100% the work of human beings. No doubt about it. There's, there's a human author in every single one of these pages, in every one of the 66 different books that have come to us. But at the same time, the Apostle Paul is saying that it is also 100% inspired by God. But how can that be and what does that actually mean? And when you try to grapple with some of these things, uh, you know, you try to find analogies. Uh, and so I've looked for analogies to help us to understand what it means by inspired by God, that God is the, is the vehicle behind, God is the inspiration behind all of these different authors that we have within the Bible. So I want to use an analogy by a man that you will know, I'm sure, fairly well. His name is Sir Christopher Wren, and I think you'll know immediately where I'm going to go to when I say what I'm going to say. Uh, he was uh, an English architect uh, and probably the greatest English architect of his time, and he built St. Paul's Cathedral, which he started at the age of 44. That's a young man now to me, 44. Wow. And he started that in 1676, and for 35 years, uh, you know, it took that cathedral to be built under one architect. And it was completed in 1711, when Christopher Wren was 79 years old. So we all know, and everyone would say, and everyone would contest that, uh, obviously, he was the builder of uh, St. Paul's Cathedral. But actually, we all know that he didn't lay, in fact, history tells us he didn't lay one single stone uh, uh, of that cathedral. Other people put the stones in place. Other people in authority that he had under him uh, were working. Other craftsmen, other experts, masons, carpenters, steelworkers, artists, laborers, many different craftspeople were used throughout all of that time. But there was one mind, one architect, one inspiration behind it. And so it is with the Bible, many different writers, many different seasons, over a period of time, but one architect, one inspiration behind it all. And we see that in uh, nearly all of the authors, apart from the book of Esther, we see that God is mentioned in all of them. And of, often in the prophets, we hear the term, thus saith the Lord. We see the concept of you know, God blowing uh, and utilizing individual men and women to, to forge what is before us today. So inspiration is a key element. 
What makes the Bible inspired is that it's God-breathed, inspired by, in, you know, uh, uh, brought into being by God Himself through human authors. And in many ways, it's God using you and I every day to do the things that we do. You know, uh, I remember when I first became a Christian that I became a Christian in church, but actually it was through God using an individual. And, and, and that individual was catalyst to me becoming a Christian. But it was God using someone with a very ordinary voice, with a very ordinary life, saying, would you like to come to church? But we say and we understand that God was at work in that individual. Was it, was it God kind of revealing himself in audible form? No, he was using an ordinary young lady to speak ordinary language in a context, in a season that drew me to a place where I encountered God. God using people to do extraordinary things, just like we see with authors here throughout the Bible. But God weaving through the centuries his plan. And what is the plan of the Bible? Is it just a collection of books? But no, it's the, it, it is a story, and it's the key story of humanity, the story of salvation. That's what the Bible is. It's not just a historical book with this history in it. It's not just a poetical book, though there were great poets and you know, things in it. It's not just a philosophical book because there's great philosophy in there as well. It's not just a book for the wise and learned saints and good people said amazing things. It's a story of God's encounter with mankind to draw mankind back to himself. That's the story. That's the journey. That's the thread of the Bible over the 1,500 years, 2,000 years that it was written and has come to us now. It is a story of God's plan of salvation. For who? For you and for me. And God's inspiration, God's Holy Spirit, God working through individuals over the, you know, the epoch of time, bringing them together, uh, 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 writing down the things as they understood it and saw it, inspired by God. Is God weaving His plan and purpose through the centuries that gives us the inspired Word of God today. I would also say that inspiration makes the Bible very unique. Very unique. There's the so what factor. So what? It's very, very unique. It stands alone in ancient literature. It stands alone even today in popularity. It is unique in so many ways. Contrary to popular belief, the Bible is uniquely popular today. I always remember uh, a young man saying, you, you don't read that, do you? Why do you read that? And I always find that anyone, even if they're opposing the Bible, is always an opportunity to allow them to engage with the Bible. My often response to people who say to me, why do I read it, is, well, why don't you read some of it and then tell me what you think about what you've read? Engage with the Scripture. But contrary to popular belief, the Bible is uniquely popular. I went to a very, very sound literary kind of uh, uh, reference, the Guinness Book of World Records. Okay? I started there. I don't know why. That's where we started, the Guinness Book of World Records, because it was this amazing kind of, uh, 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 kind of segment that stood out to me. The Guinness Book of World Records actually says, the best-selling book of all time is the Bible. It is impossible to know exactly how many copies have been printed in the roughly 1,500 years since its contents were standardized, but research conducted by the British and the Foreign Bible Society in 2021 suggests that the total number of Bibles that have been written is... Anyone like to guess? 
It's between 5 and 7 billion copies of the Bible. And it's estimated that 80 million Bibles are sold each year. In fact, it really, as you draw... Uh, you know, uh, more attention to research. I, 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 was, uh, I was delighted to read an article in the Times, Times newspaper, that was actually fairly recently, and it was subtitled, Forget the Modern British Novelists. The Bible is the biggest selling book every year. The writer of the article actually remarked and said these words, and I quote, As usual, the top seller by several miles was the Bible. If cumulative sales of the Bible were reflected in the bestseller list, it would be a very rare week when anything else would achieve a looking. In an increasingly godless age, his words, when the range of books grows wider with every passing year, this one book continues to sell hand over fist, month in, month out. It is estimated that in Britain alone, this year, 1.25 million Bibles will be sold. The writer ended the actual kind of little segment by asking a spokesperson from the Bible Society to offer an explanation to the success of the Bible. And the quotes... And to quote the, uh, the spokesperson, he said, well, it's just such a good book. It's uniquely popular. Why would this ancient book be the bestseller every single year? The, the Bible is uniquely accurate. Uniquely accurate. The sheer volume of fulfilled prophecies, um, you know, in the Old Testament concerning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is just incredible. It is probably the, the prophecies alone that have seen many, many people come to faith when they've done research and looking into the Scriptures. As they've looked at the Bible, what it has said in days gone by, how it was fulfilled, and the period of time in between, 1,500 years, 1,400 years, 500 years before these fulfillments were happening, it is an incredible test of the Bible's authority with regards to it and its accuracy with regards to the prophetic kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, utterances that are given there that have been fulfilled. It is just unparalleled in any modern and ancient literature. It is incredible what the Bible speaks of and the prophecies that have been filled. It is amazing. And yet we know there are many things that people would draw to and say within the Scriptures that they are not accurate, that there are mistakes, that there are things there that are contradictions. And there are tough things within the Scriptures that are sometimes difficult to understand. And I think we would need to be really honest with that and say that we have to engage with some of these things within the Scriptures. And that's why on this particular journey that we're on as a church, that we want to look at some of these areas. We want to look at what folk have brought up in times gone by. We want to look at the modern day kind of things that people have said concerning the Bible when they say, but. And I think that's a, I think that's a good, honest appraisal to be able to do that. And so uh, at different times over these coming weeks and months, we're going to be looking at the Bible and we're going to be looking at some of these 
contradictions apparently and these mistakes that people would often bring. But that's not to make me fearful. That's for us to go, let's look and see what the Bible says concerning these uh, and many other issues that we relate to. But it is uniquely accurate when it comes to uh, uh, the, the prophetic utterances that are given. It is absolutely stunning. No book comes close in antiquity to what the Bible tells us concerning the prophetic, accuracy, uh, the prophetic accuracies of what's been spoken about and fulfilled in, 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 in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's also uniquely precious as well, uniquely precious you know, why do people hold this? I remember the first time that I went to uh, uh, Nepal or else we were there. And certainly in our culture in, in Britain, you know, uh, you know, we often put things when you sat down on the floor. And, you know, you just don't do that in Nepal. You certainly don't, you don't put a Bible on the floor in Nepal. I remember taking uh, a, a number of Bibles up into the, the villages into the far north of Nepal. Uh, I had a backpack. I want you to feel really sorry. It's the only time. The only time I've carried more than 40, 50 kg in a backpack for seven days. It's the one, it's the one journey where I had one t-shirt, a couple of pairs of pants, and then 17 Bibles. It was, it was a long journey. And I remember when we got to the village of B in the far north, and I remember giving to Sonam, who was the uh, newly converted uh, uh, young fella from that village. I remember pulling out these Bibles, and his eyes popped out. His eyes popped out. These weren't just like little New Testaments. These were the only translations that we could find of the Tibetan Bible. And, the, and unfortunately, because of the language, they were twice as big as this. And they were really big. That's why 17 of them didn't sound very big when you've got little New Testaments. But when you've got great big Bible. So I pulled them out and they were that big. And, uh, and I remember giving them to, to him. And his eyes just beamed. As he took hold of the first one, he disappeared. And, and, he, and, he, and he was doing this with the Bible, and he was doing and, and, he, and he ran down the, the, the little, I won't call it a street, they don't have any streets, but the little pathway. And he gave it to one of the other young fellows in the Bible who came running out, and they were dancing. In, 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 and, and it was a wonderful, wonderful scene because it's uniquely precious. But you only know that if you've got 10 of them, like most modern British families have, in your, in, 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 on your library. How many of you got more than five Bibles at home? Anyone got more than 10? Should we have a competition? Who's got more than 10? Yeah. Anyone got more than 10? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And we go, oh, yeah, it's just about, oh, yeah, it's just about. But actually, you know, we have to understand that it's uniquely precious. It's been translated more than any other book to so many different tribal languages. So it's the most translated book ever. Nothing comes anywhere near the translation of the Bible when it comes to, uh, you know, it's uh, translated into different languages. It's uniquely popular. It's uniquely accurate. It's uniquely precious. But it's more than just unique. It is inspired, but it's also, I would suggest, a manual for life. Uh, Many of modern societies, certainly in the West, have their foundations due, uh, uh, built upon the truths of the Scripture. Many of them. Even today, morals that we stand by, the ethics that we run by, uh, that, that most kind of Western societies have, and many in the East as well, you know, are based upon the truths of the Word of God. It's a manual. 
not just for individuals, but we see that whole nations were governed. The United States, we think of many of the nations in you know, their constitutions, a lot of them were founded on the truths of what the Bible says. So we begin to see the Bible not just having influence in people's lives and being private, but actually it was meant to transform society, communities, and people groups wherever they were. That's the power of the Word of God. We don't have time to to really go into what the Bible says about itself, about what it does, about what it's meant to do in communities, in lives, what it speaks of, that it's the Word of God. It's powerful. It's quick. It is able to discern hearts. It's able to do so many things. The Bible is unique, but it's also a manual for life. It's in the Bible that we find out what God thinks, what God understands, His ways. His revelation, what He wants us to see, how He wants us to spend our lives, what He wants us to be involved in, where He says His people need to be. It's in the Bible that He says this is where He gives direction an understanding of His heart, of His mind, of His will that is unfolding to us. When people say, well, I don't know what to do, you know, often the Bible is there to instruct us and to guide us, to give us wisdom in the decisions that we make about not just in life, but what whole nations are to do when it comes to doing the right things with regards to how we engage with human life in its many different forms. So there are some things the Bible is very, very clear about. It tells us about our conduct for every day to be, to be a, a, an example, to be honest, to be people who don't steal, to be generous. There are many things the Bible tells us about. How to be a good husband. Anyone need that one? How to be a good wife, how that marriage is the norm for a couple. We're also given, amongst many other things, guidance on how to use our time, bring up children, care for relatives, and so on, and so on, and so on. But there are other things in the Bible that it addresses that are challenging. Very challenging, even to our modern society in which we live, even individually. When we address things like holiness, relationships, and how they should be. Purity, money, hell, sacrifice, self-denial. These are just to name a few of the popular things that the Bible addresses. There are many others. And that's the journey that we're going to be going on as a church. What does the Bible say about these things? And we don't think that we're just going to stand just at the front and teach these things. These are, these are great things to teach, but that's why we want to involve in a different way. That's why in the coming weeks we're going to be having evenings where we're going to be inviting people to church to discuss some of these kind of topical issues that are facing us right now. It's really important that we grapple with some of these truths, grapple with what some of the Bible says, because not all of them are easy and palatable. Some of them are challenging. Some people say, I don't want this rule book. It's too restrictive. All those rules and regulations. I want to be free. I want to, if you live by the Bible, you, you, you're at risk of not being free to enjoy your life. That's what often people might say and have said and will continue to say. It's a restrictive book. It tells you what you can and can't do. It's a very interesting thought process. But is that really right? Or does that in fact give us freedom? 
what people understand as rules and regulations, and if you read it, you might see it as that, can in fact create freedom and increase enjoyment. I'm really taken by a story uh, by Nicky Gumbel, who is the minister of Holy Trinity Brompton, and he was illustrating this point of freedom. And I just want you just to bear with me as I share this particular illustration when people say the Bible is too restrictive. And, you know, uh, I, I think Nicky Gumbel really kind of uh, really uh, helps us to understand what, what the Bible is when he uses this illustration. He says, and I quote him, A few years ago, uh, a football match was arranged involving 22 small boys, including one of my sons. We've all been there, haven't we? Maybe. A friend of mine called Andy was going to ref. He's going to be the referee. Unfortunately, by 2.30, he hadn't turned up. And the boys could wait no longer. So I was press-ganged into being the substitute referee. There was a number of difficulties with that particular thing. I had no whistle. There were no markings around for the boundaries of the pitch. I did not know any of the boys' names, and they were all wearing different colors to distinguish themselves. I didn't know who was on whose side. And the game descended into complete chaos. Some shouted that the ball was in, others shouted that the ball was out, and I had no idea. Some shouted foul, others shouted no foul. Some shouted penalty, and some shouted no penalty. And I didn't know who was right because I didn't know the rules. So I let them play on. And then there was a fight and I had to stop the fight. But he said and they said and the people began to get hurt. And by the time that Andy arrived, 20 minutes later, three boys were lying injured on the ground and the rest were all shouting and two were fighting. But the moment that Andy arrived, he blew the whistle, arranged the team's told them where the boundaries were and allowed them to play the game under complete control of the referee. Then the boys had a great game. I like that. I like the understanding of what Nicky Gumbel is trying to convey to us there because I think the Bible also is like that. It's God, God's rule book if you want to call it that. He tells us what's in in the boundaries, and he tells us what's how. He tells us what we must do and what we should not do. And if we play within the rules, there is great joy. Anyone watch the FA Cup? No, sorry, it's not a popular one. That it was on yesterday, and uh, you know some great games of football, all within the confines of the rules. When we break the rules, people get hurt. Now. God did not say, do not commit adultery, because he's a spoil sport. He didn't say, don't steal, because he doesn't like people to enjoy themselves. And we could go on by using that illustration. He does not want people to get hurt. And when people involve themselves in breaking relationships or doing things that are contrary, that bring you know, uh, you know, you know, great discord, lives get messed up. It's just a simple reality. The Bible is God's revelation. It tells us His will. It tells us His ways for His people. Now, I'm not here to push the Bible on society. 
I am not here to say that society should be doing that, but I do believe that as Bible-believing Christians, if this has changed this, then we can change that. That's how it works. So He sends us into all the world so that we can shine like stars in a crooked generation. That's what we are. We are not just hearers of the Word, but we are... Hey, there you go. We are doers of the Word. Or at least that's certainly our conviction. So the Bible is a manual in that sense as well. It helps us to discover His will, understand what we should be doing as His people. And the more we discover His will and put it into practice, the freer we become. So these are not confines, but these are pathways that lead to liberty. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So we read other great scriptures, and there are so many. Your word is a lamp to my feet. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. But if it's not in our hearts, and if we've not hidden it there, then we will be wandering. We will not be knowing these truths. You can't know the truth for it to set you free if you don't know the truth. This is why the Bible is inspired, and that's why God wants to reveal. It's almost not just a manual that we would just read those grey manuals that men don't read when you get something new through the post. It's a love letter. It's a revelation of God's heart to us as well. It's not only a manual for life, but it's God revealing His heart to us. And the main point of the whole Bible is so that we can enter into a full relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's why we have the Scripture. That's why it's there before us. Jesus once said, You diligently study the Scriptures. Hear what Jesus says. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. He's talking to the Pharisees. These are the Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Jesus being the living word and we have the written word. But he says that life is in Christ. Life comes also as we read the word, as we listen to the living word. Now I'm going to land us because time is going, I, I understand that. But uh, uh, what happens when God speaks? What happens when God speaks? Well, there's a lot of things that happens when God speaks within the Bible. But the one thing that I want to maybe just leave with you is that He brings faith to those who are not yet Christians. He brings faith to those who are Christians. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. That's Romans 10 and verse 17. Faith comes through hearing the message, and the message is heard by the Word of Christ. Uh, I'm sure that you've all heard of uh, David Suchet. He's my final man that I'm going to relate to and say anything about this morning. There's David Suchet. I can never say the name. The Belgian detective. I always called him French for years, but he's obviously Belgian. Uh, and he's, he's, 
Oh, there you are. Yes, you need to get that right. Frederick is here amongst us. The, the, you know, so David Suchet, I love the story of David Suchet, uh, you know, leading Shakespearean actor and well-known uh, for that role of that, that, that detectives for over the many, many years. Uh, and uh, he, tells, he tells the story uh, about how, how he became a Christian, you know, uh, while he was having a bath in a hotel in, a, in America, uh, and he had a sudden impulse to read the Bible, didn't even know where it came from, but he just got hold of the Bible, and he managed to find a Gideon Bible, and he started to read the New Testament, and it changed his life. It's, it's not like reading Tom Sawyer. It's not like reading, you know, uh, War and Peace. Anyone ever read War and Peace? Great architect, great literature, but when he read the Bible, he says, something gripped him. And this is what he said, from somewhere, I got the desire to read the Bible again. That's the most important part of my conversion. I started with the book of Acts and moved to Paul's letters, Romans and Corinthians. And it was only after that that I came to the Gospels. In the New Testament, I suddenly discovered the way that life should be followed. Who told him? Why did he do that? What was the impulse? Why did he just feel? There are lots of things that people would say are very subjective there, but actually it's amazing what happens when you read this book. The Bible is inspired. We haven't got time to look at inerrancy. We, we know we've got some, there are challenges to the Bible. We want to look at those things. But I wanted to convey to you the Bible is inspired. It can be trusted. It is the Word of God. It's the supreme and unique authority. It's unique in all that it's na in its nature. It's a manual for life. And it's a love letter from God to you and I. The key and the encouragement for us now is to read it. Now, I'm not suggesting that you're not reading it. But this is the Word of God that's going to give us direction over this coming season. So, at the back, there is a table. And if you are here today and you don't have a Bible, then you can take one. And we want you to take a Bible. It's there for you to take. Just go and just take. It's only a New Testament. I say only. It's the New Testament. Uh, so, take, take the New Testament with you. There's also a Bible reading plan. There's a Bible reading plan, not for a year, just for six months to read the whole of the New Testament. I've prepared some so that you can take them. And if you've not got into a rhythm of reading the Bible regularly, why not take the Bible reading plan with you? It's free. Take it with you. My hope is that you are already reading the Bible in that sense. There's also some journals, blank notebooks that I would encourage you. Write some notes down. It's also free. We can't make this any easier in terms of saying it's there. There's also some Gospels of John, uh, and they're really, really nice ones. They're my favorite Gospels of John because they're designed in the 1914-18 edition because they're for soldiers, but they're to give away. So if you've got someone that you know and you want to give the Word of God to someone, it's a really nice one, and it's a Gospel of John, then take one of those, but only if you're going to give it away. Okay, so take one of those and give it away to someone because... The Word of God brings life. The Word of God is inspired, and the Word of God gives direction to us. I know that I have missed 99.9% .9 of all the things that we could be talking about of the Bible. 
I can only have time to convey what I have this morning. So I encourage you to take hold of the Word of God. We're going to be reading it a lot over these next few weeks. We're going to be engaging with it in a very practical way over the coming weeks. Next week, we've got, we're going to be looking at the being of God. That means we're going to be looking at the Trinity, the name of our church. So why wouldn't you want to be there? It's the Holy Trinity that we're going to be looking at. What on earth does that actually mean? Conclusion, all I want to say, not conclusion, I finished my sermon, but I just want to be able to say that we have a prayer meeting here tonight uh, in the building at 6 o'clock. That's going to be our prayer gathering. And uh, also, if you are looking to come next week, and I encourage you to come. Uh, there's going to be a lot of research and study going into these sermons. There always is, but there will be in it when it comes to doctrine over these next few weeks. So uh, I encourage you to book on at 2 o'clock today. If you're listening, you are welcome to come as well. Uh, and if you're in the building, then we encourage you to come back uh, next week also. Let's stand as we can come to a conclusion. We're going to pray uh, as, we, as we leave today. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Your word is an inspiration. Your word is a lamp to our feet. Your word gives revelation. I pray now, Lord, impart the truth of your word. Set us free. Allow us, Lord, to uh, engage, to, uh, uh, to, to really encounter your word in a new way. We pray that these little tools that we're giving at the, at the end of the service will be helpful for people to read the, the Bible, the Word of God. And I pray, Lord God, we will be inspired and we will be encouraged, Lord, that we can have confidence in the Bible. It is your revealed Word, not just to us, but for all mankind. Thank you for the plan of salvation that is contained within. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. <laughs>